driving to church this morning, I was struck by the fact that water is always around us in the air. We sometimes just need the right conditions to see it. Jesus Christ is the living water, and he is always with us. And so we come this morning to look at the conditions, create the conditions of worship that will allow us to see him around us. For he is here, and we come to worship him. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we ask for your presence with us this morning for a very specific reason. Each one of us needs to receive something of your truth in the way that we can understand it and process it. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, a popular way of looking at scripture is to put yourself in the shoes, in the place of one of the disciples or the disciples. And I've never been able to do that too easily. I felt like I was supposed to do that. But actually, I have a hard time relating to Galilean fishermen. But today, I can relate. I don't know. The disciples were delivered a bombshell. And there's been a bombshell in every one of our lives at one time or another, in one situation or another. But it takes a while in looking at this passage for the true bombshell to reveal itself. It started out because the disciples were hanging around with Jesus in Jerusalem and they were ooing and aahing over the temple. And the temple was remarkable. It had a beautiful gold facade. And the symbol for the Jewish tradition were clusters of grapes. So those were carved into the temple. But the most spectacular thing were the beautiful stones that were part of the temple as well. And they were remarking, they being the disciples, about the temple's beauty. That's so human. Oh, how beautiful this is. And then Jesus douses them with what seems to be cold words. And he says, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left. And the disciple says, what's going to happen and what are the signs? And we know that there was a complete fall of Israel. Total destruction of the temple did occur in around 70 AD. Rome obliterated Jerusalem. Over a million people were killed. 97,000 in exile. And this gospel, depending on who you read, was written around 60 AD. Just 10 years before all of that happened. So as a nation, they were actually facing some historical realities, impending disaster. And he, Jesus, goes on to say, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famine, pestilence. And as the disciples heard this, they were kind of accustomed to Old Testament prophecies and doomsday predictions. So this isn't the part that is quite the bombshell, although these words had to be very hard to hear. Most people know what it means to fear for the future. One of the earliest prayers I remember learning, and maybe you learned the same one, was now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. 
if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And it was always said in my bedroom at night, and my bedroom was always pink and ruffly, except for one year when it was lavender, but we got rid of that quickly. And it was a pretty, pretty environment. And somebody's pretty voice, maybe it was my mother's, maybe it was my grandmother's, led me in this pretty prayer, except it wasn't pretty. And there was always this disconnect. I guess according to this prayer, I thought to myself, I might not make it through the night. This is not good. Anything can happen. And I'm hesitant to say this, but I think I have to. That prayer is one of the most real prayers we'll ever pray. Because it's part of our Judeo-Christian tradition. Earthly future is simply not a sure thing. God is a sure thing. And future with God is glorious. So the disciples in all likelihood were not surprised by Jesus' war and pestilence remarks. It's in our DNA. It's part of how we were raised. And there is fear and there are fear issues surrounding all of us in general. Safety in all forms, across the spectrum. Emotional security and actual security against physical danger. And then Jesus, the truth teller, gives the disciples specifics about what's going to happen to them. The destruction becomes very, very personal, and it becomes a somewhat different story. And this is the bombshell. They will lay hands on you, and they will persecute you, and you're going to be delivered to prison, and you're going to be brought to the authorities because of my name, it's his name, that will set off the suffering and set it in motion. But it's also the name that brings containment and overturns and brings all suffering to a close. But that's in the conclusion. The next verses, thank you, Lord, for these verses, contain, if we're willing to see it, extremely positive information. Verse 14, make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. The disciples were facing a unique historic challenge, but their truth really does transfer to us because their need, their perceived need to defend themselves is also our need to defend ourselves against danger. The positive notes, we have the power to make up our mind, to not strategize, to not try to control the situation to ensure our own safety. Being created in the image of God, we have a will, and we can decide, and our decisions have such power. And we can stop trying to figure out the path of safest existence. You know, I was asking God for some kind of example of this and remembered, maybe it's because disaster is kind of in the air with the Philippine situation, when we had an earthquake in Southern California in the 90s. It was the Northridge earthquake, and so much of our environment was destroyed. And our church, we were fanatics about keeping it safe, keeping it safe, 
keeping it safe. It had security systems. It had pads with numbers that you punched in. It had buzzards. It was an urban church. So the earthquake hit. And somehow I connected with the senior pastor. And together we went to check on the church because, I am ashamed to say, we thought, you know what? All of our security is going to be destroyed. And who knows who will get in there? So we were scared. And we went to the church and we discovered as with all the buildings surrounding the church, all of the security systems were destroyed. All the doors were popped open. We had alarms and all kinds of buzzing, and it was awful in the wake of an earthquake. And then we noticed that over in Hoffman Hall, there were a bunch of people in there, and we thought they got in. And then suddenly, the Holy Spirit dealt with us, and we said, oh, they got in. Of course they went to church. Of course they wanted to go to a place where they thought was going to be secure. So they gathered in Hoffman Hall at the Presbyterian Church. And we thought, thank God, the security system didn't work. And our false sense of security didn't last. The disciples, they, like us, wanted to figure out the path of safest existence. And I have to tell you that everything I'm saying is not to be confused with planning because Jesus did believe in some kind of a plan. He instructed his disciples on how to prepare for the journey. And Jesus telling us to not be bogged down with what we might think is threatening our safety is part of his plan. Fear not, he tells us all the time, because being afraid is not, not preparation. Underlying this is the God message, I can work with you and I can work through you, but I've got to have you first. And if you are worried about defending yourself, he says, you won't hear me. Running scared keeps us from hearing the Holy Spirit and the nuances of his nudging. And as the passage unfolds, He's asking for more, for more than just the listening. He gave the disciples his thoughts and his words and his mind. And we look at this and say, at least I do, the mind of Christ. That was for the first disciples because they were doing revolutionary work. I used to think so, but not so much anymore. First of all, the disciples were shockingly ordinary people. They needed God's help. And secondly, if we are serious about Jesus Christ, so do we. And asking for the mind of Christ is a daring, daring prayer. But haven't you noticed that when the Holy Spirit is working in your life and you're being asked to discover new things about God, that the prayers do change? that a lot of our sweet, pretty words kind of go by the wayside and you find yourself connecting to God in a very visceral way. The prayer asking for the mind of Christ. We kind of have to go there eventually. And it is quite resistible, and I do mean resistible, not irresistible, because it's awesome. And what does this have to do with us? Can we really ask for the mind of Christ? 
The chasm between our minds and Christ is so great, but he bridges the gap. And we ask for the mind of Christ, and we discover, of all things, groundedness. Not ethereal in the clouds escape, groundedness with a thunk. And with the mind of Christ, things become real and even practical, and the need to self-protect drops, just drops, and we are with God. And we have to do it a lot because the world does not let this be constant. But let me tell you, if we can have the mind of Christ, even for a few seconds, that is more potent than any human defense. And in this situation, Jesus promises to give them the words. They don't have to worry about what to say. I will give you words, he says, and wisdom. And here's the killer, that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict words of such wisdom and power that there is no response to these words. Words of the mind of Christ. And I remember when I, early in my journey, I went to churches, Presbyterian churches, where because of the era and the theology of the day, we were asked to question everything. Everything was on the table. There were no absolutes. Everything was up for grabs. And so I kept that up, and I remember going to a pastor to set out to her all of my problems with God. And she listened, and she was kind, and all she said was, uh, God is God. He doesn't need you to approve of him. God is God. That simple sentence has stuck with me all of my life. And of course, the genesis of that sentence, when asked who he was, God said, I am. Period. And God is God. He is. God's thoughts are above our thoughts. But with the mind of Christ, the door opens to things we never knew existed. God's perspective is not captured into our intellect. It is beyond. With the mind of Christ, the perspective is there, if only for a second. And as the verse continues, it doesn't look good for the disciples. And this is how, how could they hear this? You're going to be betrayed by your relatives. You're going to be betrayed by your, betrayed by your friends. And some of you will be put to death. Well, as I was looking at this and reading this, they were willing to do this. And it is not exactly the same for us. I have to be careful here because we do know that persecutions for Christians will exist. And it isn't all that easy in 2013 to follow the real Christ. But we are post-Pentecost. At the birth of the church, we were given such promise and power of additional help. We were given safety in this place called sanctuary. And God gives us as a community the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit so that we can be equipped 
so that we can be equipped in power and without fear. And I realize we are indebted to these fishermen. We are indebted to these disciples, God's willing ones. And we've been uniquely empowered to be his willing ones. And it's the name, as this passage will tell you, that is so powerful that it actually brought the persecution, but so powerful it ushered in eternal, eternal peace. And it's the name that is our defense, Jesus Christ. His mind is our defense. And it is the name that creates and seals our prayers. And it's the name that has the future and is our future. Whatever part of the name that grabs you. For some, it's Jesus. For me, it's Christ. Not because it's pretty, because it is beautiful. Let us pray. We ask you, dear Lord, to take our longing for you and identify it clearly within our own souls that it is you we long for. Help us to know the freedom of knowing you and the freedom of being reality-based in a world that wants to escape. We give ourselves, we honor you, and we do this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord.